0: that that love paid so great a price for our salvation. It was a sacrifice and a cost that none of us could ever make. And so God in love made it for us. Jesus told His disciples on the way to the Mount of Olives, just before He would be led to Gethsemane, The Calvary there beyond. And He made these words something that would ring in our hearts. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. And the Lord showed no greater love at Calvary when He gave His life for you and for me Tonight I would like to read from the scriptures out of Matthew twenty-six. And the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse number 36. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little farther, and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What, could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time, and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, Thy will be done." And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth. Betray me. Oh God, I pray that as we consider our smitten Savior, that we might hit the reset button in our hearts, that we might once again fall more deeply in love with the One that showed us no greater love than when He laid down His life for us. God, I pray that tonight for those that may be listening or watching perhaps in another land, that You would minister to hearts as You, O God, alone are able. And may You receive the glory, the honor, and the praise. For we ask these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. It's perhaps an impossibility to, in mere words, in a span of one service, express the degree to which the Lord suffered for us. I imagine that it would take doctors and physiologists and it would take all of the world's experts to somehow accurately or in some small measure try to portray the physical suffering that Jesus endured that I would say that this was far more than just suffering physically. For the Lord suffered in every way imaginable. And thus we know that He's well able to comfort us who are in any distress for the Bible tells us in Hebrews that we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmity, but was in all points tempted like as we are and yet without sin. I submit to you tonight that there is no suffering that you will face now or ever and at any time in your life that Jesus has not already faced And conquered and is able to see you through. I would simply tell you tonight that as we consider the suffering of Jesus, we'll examine three particular places in which our Lord suffered, beginning in Gethsemane. And we'll follow the Lord from Gethsemane to Gabbatha, another place of suffering found there outside of the court of Pilate in the In the Hebrew, it was the pavement. It was a place where judgment was measured out against our Savior. And then from Gabbatha, we go with our Savior to Golgotha. The place of the skull. A place of death and unutterable suffering. And we'll discover what took place in each of those places for us. Perhaps understand a little more deeply the magnitude of the love of God expressed for us at Calvary. Let me say to you that as we have read here tonight, we see our Savior in Gethsemane, and I believe that it bears stating that the word Gethsemane means oil press. And that is precisely what took place to our Savior, not so much that Uh, he pressed oil, or that oil was pressed from him, but that he was so pressed and so oppressed that literally he sweat as it were great drops of blood. I don't know about you, but there has never been a time in my life, even when I was under the greatest stress and strain, that blood droplets poured forth from my pores because of the intensity of the stress and strain that was being brought to bear. But I want you to understand that there was a particular type of suffering that Jesus endured in Gethsemane. For in Gethsemane, there was a battle royal for the Lord Jesus' life. And Satan himself, no doubt, was seeking to try to preemptively keep Jesus from going all the way to Golgotha and being laid upon a cross to pay the price For our sins and the sins of the whole world. I believe it was there that Satan brought all of his forces to bear against the plan of God. Seeking to subvert it. And In fact we know that in Mark chapter 8 and in Matthew 16. When Jesus began to explain to the disciples that he would be taken by cruel men. That he would be put to death. And that afterward he would arise again. We know that. Simon Peter stood up and said, Be it not so, Lord. And the Lord looked at him and said, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God. Now make no mistake about it, that was Simon Peter. And the Lord wasn't delusional in calling him Satan. But the Lord recognized that the spirit behind Peter's Effort to keep Jesus from the cross was in fact a satanic effort. For Satan knew that if he could somehow keep Jesus from that appointment with death on the cross of Calvary, that he could have, he could overthrow the plan of God for all of the ages. And so he took his final stand there in Gethsemane and brought all of his force to bear upon our suffering Savior. We discover there that uh, Satan uh, attempted really to snuff out the life of Jesus in that place. He, uh, of course, uh, made the statement that uh, he was exceedingly sorrowful and even unto death. Literally, his heart was so heavy with the sorrow of all that was coming to pass and about to transpire in his life that it was like to have killed him. He suffered there in the garden he cried for the Father's will to be done, and if it be His will that this cup passed from Him, that it might be so. Make no mistake about this, the Lord was not asking to be delivered from the, the cup of death. The Lord was a courageous Savior who knew why He had come, and He did not cower away from the cross. That was not the cup that was so foreboding for the courageous Savior had come to go to the cross. It wasn't the contempt and betrayal or even the physical suffering that the Lord was asking to be freed from because we know that He full well understood the depravity of man's heart and what they could do and certainly understood that all of the worst of humanity would be meted out upon his physical body. And so the Lord wasn't uh, somehow asking that the cup of physical suffering pass from him. It was something that he came to endure. And we know that he intended to endure it so much so that when they offered him a mixture, a cocktail of gall and vinegar, he refused it because uh, therein was a little bit of a, a... a mix so that it would dull and blunt the pain of the person that was being tortured to death. And the Lord refused to have the pain dulled. He intended to feel all of the pain to its fullest extent for you and for me. I know if it were any of us and we were offered something to blunt the pain, we would gladly take it and yet our Savior... Refused it. And so our Savior there in Gethsemane was not crying out to be delivered from the cup of physical suffering. But rather we gain insight into the cup in John chapter 18 and in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 24. What Jesus was really looking at as ominous just before Him was the cup of sin and shame that He would be forced to drink. For there on the cross of Calvary, He would literally become the personification of sin. And He would have to empty that chalice of sin and shame to the extent that the Father would turn His face away because he could not even bear to look upon his own son. As the specter of the sin and shame became a looming reality, he said that I'm sore amazed in Mark 14, and my heart is very heavy in Matthew 26. It was so heavy upon him that it nearly took his life there. I mentioned this morning in our Bible study that many theologians believe that the Lord was crying out in the garden to be delivered from death by the force of Satan against Him so that He could make it all the way to the cross. For He had come from heaven down to this earth with one goal in mind, to be made a sacrifice for sin, And only the death of the cross would fulfill all prophecy and thus validate that who the prophets foretold was in fact God the Son now being made their sacrifice. There are portions of Scripture that validate that suggestion. What we read in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 7, Who in the days of His flesh when He had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto Him that was able to save Him from death. I said that the Lord wasn't asking to be delivered from physical death on the cross. The Lord wasn't asking to be delivered from the cup of suffering. The Lord was requesting that He not die in the garden and that He perhaps, if it be God's will, be spared from the cup of sin and shame our sin and our shame that would be heaped upon Him. But here we discover that He cried with strong supplications and crying and tears to Him that was able to save Him from death in that He uh, feared, the Bible says, that He was heard, though He were a son, yet He learned obedience by the things which He suffered and being made perfect, He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey Him. And so the Lord knew that Satan was trying to uh, preempt God's eternal plan and snuff out his life right there in the garden of Gethsemane. And he cried out to the Lord who was able to save him. And the Bible declares to us that he was delivered. But it was through great distress. It was through great suffering. He said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. I've never experienced grief to that degree. There have been times where I've been so heavy hearted that I thought I might die, but I never thought it would really happen. But through all of this, the Lord never turned back. He never wavered in His commitment to submit Himself to the will of the Father. And might I say this to you, Often we try to interpret the Word of God within our own human understanding, which is limited and finite. Sometimes we hear about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and somehow we have to believe that the Father is, is, is number one in the pecking order of authority in heaven, and the reality is that the Trinity is something unique and distinct that we don't have anything here in this life to compare to. Sometimes people will take an egg, and eggs are very popular at this time of year, and try to say, here we have a shell, and then we have the white, and we have the yolk, and these three parts make one egg. And somehow I think that falls far short of trying to portray the reality of the Trinity, God existing in three distinct persons. They're one in power, they're one in rank, and they're different in ministry. And so we understand that it was the will of the Father that a sacrifice would be made, but Jesus offered to go by an act of His own will. It was the will of the Son that this be done as well. It wasn't that Jesus was constrained to go against His will. And anybody that would suggest that is a heretic. Because then He would not be God. And the Trinity would just be a joke. My friends, I submit to you today that it was God's will, God the Father. It was God's will, God the Son. It was God's will, God the Holy Spirit. And we are grateful that uh, Jesus overcame the forces of Satan and all the temptation that He heaped upon Him. And He continued on beyond Gethsemane, where He suffered greatly, poured out great drops of blood, endured sorrow and distress. There He endured betrayal. Jesus was sold by one of His followers to the rulers of the Jews for 30 pieces of silver. Lest we mistake how much that was, 30 pieces of silver would have purchased a common, ordinary slave at the slave market. And so for the price of an ordinary slave, Jesus was sold to the rulers of the Jews. It was there that His disciples could not wait with Him for an hour. In the moments of His passion, In great distress when he yearned for someone to watch and pray with him. They could not. Until finally he was taken into custody. Not forcibly. He could have called down 10,000 legions of angels. And had them destroy the world. But he chose to go. He said to them, listen... I taught taught you daily in the temple and you sought me not there and now you come to me with swords and staves. The Lord went willingly. And at that moment, the Bible reveals these words. Then all the disciples forsook Him and fled. They left Him alone. He was alone. He suffered in Gethsemane. But they led him from Gethsemane, ultimately, to Gabbatha. We read of Gabbatha in John chapter 19. And what we see in John chapter 19 is that he was led before Pilate. And the Bible says that Pilate, therefore, took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put, him on, put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto him, Behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold, the man! When the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Pilate saith unto them, Take ye Him, and crucify Him, for I find no fault in Him. The Jews answered Him, We have a law, and by our law He ought to die, because He made Himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king, speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. Tonight, go with me to a place called the pavement, Gabbatha where Jesus suffered at the hands of sinners. The Lord said to the disciples in Gethsemane, when the rulers of the Jews came to take Him, and they were sleeping, He said, Sleep on now, for the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Into the hands of sinners. This place is associated with The sufferings of Jesus for it was at Gabbatha that the judgment was pronounced. It was there that the sentence was delivered. It was there that the cruelty was deputized and facilitated. And the Bible reveals to us that Jesus was despised and rejected of men. And He suffered unutterably for us. Time would elude us tonight to go to all of the passages, but if we did so, we would find in on Friday of this passion of Jesus Christ, there would be 70 different references to all that took place to Jesus as they led Him to the cross to suffer and to die. There He was beaten at Gabbatha by the temple guards, and, and they they beat him with their fists and they smote him with their hands and they hit him with reeds and they plaited a crown of thorns upon his head. And piercing the skin of his cranium and not just kind of gently setting it down but forcibly putting it down so that the thorns embedded themselves in the skull of our saviors. They mocked him and said, Hail King of the Jews! There's never been a time in human history before this that God dealt fully with the sin of humanity. There were times of judgment, to be sure. There were seasons at the Tower of Babel, at the uh, different... Captivities of the children of Israel. We find it with the flood that the Lord judged the earth with. But never did He ultimately offer the end all sacrifice for sin. That could affect the total healing of mankind. I want you to know that Jesus at Calvary dealt with our sin issue fully. And finally He did it with His body upon the cross. We find in Matthew 27 that as they led him from the place of suffering uh, there in Gabbatha, they laid a a cat of nine tails upon his back. And the Bible reveals to us in in the Psalms that, that there they laid furrows upon his back. Literally with every stroke of the whip, there were nine furrows laid through the back of our Savior. Nine times thirty nine wounds upon our Savior. Nine times thirty nine. Wounds in our Savior that most would agree were so severe that by the end of the beating literally you could look into the uh, body cavity of our Savior and see his organs there. Perhaps view his lungs trying to draw air because of the terrible beating. It was a law that no man could be beaten with the cat of nine tails more than 39 strokes for no one could endure it and live and yet our lord was given the worst punishment that could be inflicted upon a man legally and yet there was more to come it was only the beginning of the physical suffering that was measured out i'm saying that the lord was rejected he was scourged and As I mentioned, it it, it tells us of this in the Messianic Psalm in Psalm 129. He was mocked by the soldiers and crowned with thorns. They plucked His beard from His face. They would punch our Savior and spit in His face and pull out His beard. Until finally, He was condemned to die. And He was beaten and marred so brutally that the Bible reveals to us In Isaiah 50, that He was not even recognizable as a man. Did not His mother Mary know that this was her son? She passing by and looking on would never have known that it was her son Jesus because His face had been so disfigured from the battering that there would have been no way she could have identified Him. We go from Gabbatha up the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering to Golgotha. And there is a different suffering. He suffered at the hand of Satan in Gethsemane. He suffered at the hand of sinners at Gabbatha. But at Calvary, It was suffering at the hand of sovereignty. It was what the Father required, the travail that He would see it and be satisfied. It was the will of His own Father. His Father loved Him And were there any other way, no doubt he would have spared him. But Jesus, having been led to the cross, God finally dealt with sin once and for all. What they did there, no one would ever want to have done, not to their worst enemy. Jesus had already lost a large percentage of His blood from the beatings that He had endured. The swelling was so severe, no doubt he, He probably had difficulty fully seeing from His peripheral vision. His face was bleeding and battered. His beard plucked out and spit all over His face. From cruel soldiers. and then they constrained him to carry his cross until he fell beneath the weight of it. And they asked Simon the Cyrenian to carry his cross to the rest of the way to Calvary, where there they stripped him of every piece of clothing. We cannot really understand the depth and the gravity of the shame that He endured. They didn't put a loincloth on Him. When they crucified someone, often their loved ones, their family members, their mother would be there to watch. And they would strip them naked. And there He hung for six hours naked shame for all the world to see. I would tell you this, that man did his worst while God did His best for us. We don't often like to dwell on these things, but as we consider the suffering of our Savior, I would tell you that just as they put a a sponge with gall and vinegar to his lips with a stick they taunted and tormented and and yea molested our savior in every way they laid him on the cross they they nailed the the hands and the feet of our savior and when they dropped that cross in its place Jesus Shoulders came out of the sockets. All of the muscle was torn. And the sinew strained. The ligaments pulled and broken. Thus began another wave of terrible suffering as he, for six hours after having lost most of his blood, been shamed, been beaten, walked the Via Dolorosa with the beam of a heavy cross, had his hands nailed through his feet, nailed through a crown of thorns plaited upon his head. Then for six hours, in the hot sun of Jerusalem, he had to lift himself up to catch a breath. The cause of death for crucifixion was always asphyxiation. They would suffocate to death because they no longer had the strength to pull themselves up and to draw breath. And they would, they would die. Our suffering Savior thought of another while on the cross. He saved a thief who had once mocked him. He cried out to the Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And we know that this was not a cry for the Father to offer eternal uh, forgiveness to those that were now torturing Him to death, but rather for the Lord to show mercy and not execute them on the spot so that they may have the opportunity yet to receive Him as their Savior. And then Jesus, who became sin. All of the vilest sins that man has ever conceived of, ever carried out or ever spoken of, from every man, woman, boy and girl throughout every age, from the beginning of time until now, was laid upon Jesus our Savior. And if the naked shame was not enough, the shame of sin was more than God could bear. The sky turned black at high noon as the Father turned His face away, for He could not bear to look upon His darling Son, whom He loved. And Jesus, in suffering alone, Hanging between heaven and earth, dying there for us, cried out, "Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani?" My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? His father could not bear it until finally. He said, It is finished. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. Jesus paid the price for our sin. I would say this to you. There's never going to be another sacrifice like the one at Calvary. And the reason why is because it was enough. Praise the Lord today that Jesus paid it all. He didn't pay for some of our sins. He paid for all of our sins, past, present, and future. What Jesus did there was enough. And my friend, to suggest that we might lose that salvation and have to again somehow do penance for sin and pay for our sin and entreat an angry God does a disservice and a disrespect to the sacrifice of Calvary for Jesus paid it all. He said, it is finished. And my friends that are watching this or listening through sermon audio tonight, I want to say to you that it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what's in your life today. Jesus died to pay the price for those sins. And I would tell you this, that Jesus demonstrated His love, and He loved you this much when he died upon a cross of Calvary. And greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And he's calling you to accept him as your only Savior from the consequences of sin, for Jesus paid them in your behalf. Some may say, why are you having a Good Friday service? Because it was on Friday that our redemption was purchased with the blood of Jesus. Our forgiveness was offered because of that. And heaven was made possible. I read recently where that the famous artist, Michelangelo, one day was watching a group of of artists that were sculpting a scene of the crucifixion. And he watched for some time until finally he became upset with the workers and the artists that were there working on this sculpture. And he said, Why do you always portray only the agony? Why do you only show the death and the dying? Why do you never show the ultimate victory over death? When will you ever sculpt the empty tomb? Tonight we celebrate our suffering Savior. And what He did for us so many years ago on the cross of Calvary. But that was Friday. And thank God, there's a Sunday coming where we have victory and life eternal. Because I live, Jesus said, ye shall live also. Father God, we do not understand and in this life may never fully comprehend the kind of love that would send your only son to this earth to suffer and bleed and die for people that hated you. Yet, Lord, we thank you for your great love. Lord, I pray that we might never ever get over the wonder of it all. Tonight, if you happen to be logged on to this service, and you're not really certain that if you died right now, that you'd spend forever in heaven with God, you're unsure that your sins are forgiven, please know that God doesn't send anyone to hell. He did everything to keep you from going. And if you go, you'll have to crawl over an old rugged cross to get there. You see, Jesus went there because He loves you and He wants to save you from the suffering that your sin has produced and the penalty of your sin requires that's what we deserve but Jesus in love went to the cross and took our punishment and because he was buried and he rose again he lives to offer us eternal life through the forgiveness of sin in heaven forever If there's never been a time where you've understood that and received the gift of forgiveness and eternal life in heaven with God, I want to invite you, wherever you may be, to just open your heart to God. And in a prayer from your heart, simply tell the Lord, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. I invite you into my heart and my life to forgive me of all of my sin and to save me. Thank you for dying for me. Lord, I'm now trusting in what you did and what you finished for me on the cross at Calvary. I'm trusting you now, for I pray this in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. My friends, perhaps you've prayed that prayer before and you didn't understand what you were doing, but you did tonight. Or perhaps you never prayed it and tonight was your first encounter with the gospel. On the authority of God's word, you're saved. Your sins are forgiven. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise from a God that cannot lie. So Sunday, let me say, you really have a reason to rejoice. You really have a reason to kick up your heels and get happy because Jesus, my friends, didn't stay on the cross. He's alive. He's a risen living Savior. Now He's living in you. For those that live with you,